Are you thankful to be alive this morning? Let me ask you that again. Are you thankful to be alive this morning? Isn't life great? It goes from getting up in the morning and maybe seeing a beautiful sunrise out there or maybe the rain, the beautiful rain or snow this time of year. You know how awesome the privilege that we get to uh, live in America, that we do have an incredible blessing upon us from God Almighty. Just the simple things in life, getting up in the morning and breathing, and getting up in the morning and we can see, and we can get out of bed and walk and go about our duties. You know how, how beautiful it is to see our children grow and to have children, and yours truly to have grandchildren now, and some of you have that same privilege, and I'm here to tell you it's a, an incredible gift when God gives us grandchildren. I see a couple of them right out here. I was, uh, had the privilege yesterday to spend a little time with my wife in the mall, and uh, Shopping in a ladies' store were my favorite things to do. But um, I will tell you one of my favorite things to do, my absolute favorite thing to do is to spend time with my wife, no matter what it's doing. But um, I was watching some of the other ladies shop around, and I saw this young lady come in. She's probably, I think Amy was in the dressing room at that point, but a young lady, probably about 17 or 18 years old. And it seemed that there's just the kind of excitement that she had in her to shop for some new clothes. And I don't know her story. She's by herself. And so my mind kind of went and wondered if she's a Christian, wonder what kind of family she has, wonder what she's doing there. But as I watched her just getting excited and kind of holding the little dress up in front of her there in the mirror and looking at it, and I, I thought to myself, how precious life is. It's just so precious, the things we get to do and many things we take for granted. You know, how about walking to the mountains or walking along the beach? Life is an incredible gift. Listen very carefully, from God. God gives us life. Isn't it wonderful to be alive? If you have your Bibles here this morning, we're going to talk about life here this morning. Turn with me, if you will, to Deuteronomy, all the way back in the Old Testament there. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, if you will. And as you find your way there this morning, stand with me, if you will, out of reverence respect to the reading of God's holy word. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, he says, I call heaven, this is Moses speaking, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set, and actually God's, God's the one that's speaking through Moses, actually I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwell in the land which God swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word this day. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that we'd leave this service in just a little bit, Father, understanding life. Father, understanding the aspects and the societal things and the cultural things, Father, that we deal with each and every day, Father. And Lord, I pray with all my heart right now that every one of us, Father, would be able to stand firm on God's word and share God's truth with love into this world, Father, that desperately needs to know the truth and to hear the truth. Father, we thank you now once again for your holy, holy word. Father, speak to our hearts. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The Bible has a lot to say about life. 
It really does. You know that. But before I get into the passage of our scripture today, I want to share something very, very important with each and every one of you. I want you to hear my heart this morning about this. I know today that I'm speaking to some that have either had or contemplated having an abortion. I want you to know that my heart's desire this morning is not that you would leave here feeling more guilty, more shameful. God died upon that cross for you and I to take that away. We're all sinners saved by grace. There is only one unpardonable sin, and that's by rejecting Jesus Christ. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us. Every single sin that we ever commit from the time we're this old to say no, this old to take something and deny it, all the way through life. God, through Jesus Christ, has forgiven our sins. I want you to know that Jesus Christ's work upon that cross, the finished work upon that cross, also relieved us, relieved, relieved us of carrying shame and guilt. That doesn't come from God. That comes from the enemy. God is giving us peace. God is giving us an essence of fullness and completeness. God has covered up the sins in our life and made them white as snow. They are separated in his mind as far as the east is from the west. I want you to hear someone else that God has also forgotten those things. He no longer ledgers those, ledgers those against our account. So as we come to know Jesus Christ, no matter what the sin, I want you to know this. I'm sure you already know that your pastor is a sinner saved by grace. Your pastor has actually destroyed life, but by the grace of God. God saved me years ago, but God didn't give up on me even when I strayed and even when I made bad decisions in an earlier life. So I want you to hear that this morning. I love two scriptures in the Bible that speak to this very specifically. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8, verse 1, he says, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. God does not condemn us. I want you to know the other one that we should hold on with all of our heart and all of our mind. It's Romans 8, 28. You know that as well. We need to make that our mantra. We need to make that our theme of our life, that God works all things together. We've all made mistakes. We've all gone down the wrong road sometimes. But God will work all those things together for his glory, for those that are called according to his purposes. God can use even our most hardest times, the times when we may, may feel like we made an irreparable mistake. God can use those for somebody else's glory, for his glory, for somebody else's life. On January 22, 1973, 44 years ago today, the Supreme Court of the United States voted 7-2 to receive the Roe v. Wade verdict. And claim, which is sad, that the preborn baby, the child in the womb, is a non-person. They said that's non-personhood. We're not going to give them personhood. Supreme Court decided that they're going to play God. And they're going to condemn to death all these unborn babies. I'll tell from 1973 to today, the most recent figures I can get last night on the Internet, Almost 60 million babies have died. I do want to give you a good note, though, that it's declining. I had to research that, too. I had several thoughts. One of those is because of it's harder to get an abortion nowadays. There's a lot of forces out there working against the people that are doing them and making it harder for them. We've seen it in Virginia here, too, where they've made some of the abortion clinics raise their standards up to medical if they overturn that. But there's a lot of forces going on right now. There's a lot better education about um, contraception. But also, 
I want you to know that the, the sonograms and the um, ultrasounds they do nowadays let people know that are trying to make a mistake that that is a living baby inside there. Well, it's not the only time that the Supreme Court made a big mistake. If you remember back in 1857, the Supreme Court once again seven to two. Thank God for those two that were right-minded there. They heard a curse, uh, heard, heard, a, heard a case involving Dred Scott. You know what they hit? Dred Scott was an African-American. He was black. They decided that that black person didn't really deserve personhood either. He's not a person, so he does not deserve the rights of the Constitution guarantee that all men are created equal. So they passed this crazy, ignorant statute again. They said he has no rights, no protection under the U.S. Constitution because he does not have personhood. Well, I think most of us are aware through our history as well that Adolf Hitler also said somebody did not deserve personhood. It was the Jews. He wanted only that pure race, the Aryan race there in Germany. So he decided to round up all those Jews and he exterminated more than six million Jewish people for one reason, one reason only, that they were Jewish. They did not deserve to live. We've seen it through history here. How people, because they desire not to follow God's word, not to really truly understand God's word, make decisions upon themselves to make bad decisions. I happen to have a lot of money in my pocket right now. It's a $20 bill. Right there. Anybody want it? All right. My wife. <laughs> you know, the soliloquy of that is a fact she'll probably get it to. $20 bill. Well, let me ask you this. If I crumple it up, do you still want it? How about if I threw it in the floor and stamped on it? She still wants it. How about if I walked outside for a couple of minutes and threw it in a mud pile and stomped on it and came, brought it back in here and it was all hanging here all muddy and all wet and dripping and getting all of my suit and things? And Would you still want it? You know, no matter what I do to this bill, it still has value. It still has a value of $20. You know why? You ever thought about why this bill, no matter what happens to it, no matter how crumpled it is? I'm sure many of you have had crumpled bills before and you've seen them. And they look like they've been through the washer a couple of times. You know why this $20 bill has value? It's because the creator of this bill, the U.S. government Treasury Department, says it has $20 value. They value that. They assign the value to this dollar bill. You know why a baby has value? No matter what the circumstances, no matter how hard things have come about before that baby's born, no matter what's going on with that mother before it's born, no matter how that baby comes out, he may have some defects, maybe that little baby's crumpled up, or maybe that little baby has issues, major issues that they don't look like that perfect, pristine baby. Do you know why that baby has value? You all do. Who gave that baby value? The person that created it. God did. God gave that baby value. No matter what the world says, and it's just so sad. You know, the, the Bible tells us in John 10.10 10, that the enemy, Satan, has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan is the great deceiver. Unfortunately, today in America, more than half the population believes it's okay to be pro-choice. Why? Because they've been told pro-choice is fine. A woman should have the right to choose. Well, well, a woman doesn't have a right to choose to walk in here with a gun and shoot me, does she? She doesn't have a right to go home and kill her kids. We realize that's against the law. Let me tell you a, kind of contra a couple of contradictions here. Maybe you've heard this before. Maybe you don't know this that if you go out and find an eagle's nest 
and you destroy an eagle's egg, you know there's up to a $5,000 penalty and a five-year imprisonment in jail for destroying an eagle's egg. Isn't that sad that we value that eagle's egg? That, that, that eagle's not born yet. Is that eagle egg a living eagle? You better believe it. We look at that way. You know why they decided to put that law? It's a national law, a law in effect, because there was a problem with eagles disappearing. They were becoming, they weren't extinct, but becoming extinct. Let me tell you another kind of interesting parallel, interesting paradox. You know that if you were to go out tomorrow in any state in this nation and shoot a pregnant woman and she died, you know that you'd be charged with two counts of murder, killing the mother and that unborn baby. Doesn't line up with pro-choice, does it? It really doesn't. America today, as we all know, is in the midst of unprecedented moral crisis. It really is, on every front. I've shared with some of our folks that we're seeing parts and parcels around America today and some of this anarchy and some of these things going on in our nation today of what America would look like if God left, if God was not present. God's still here. God is still in control. He's still on his throne. The essence, though, of the pro-life, pro-choice verdict is probably unprecedented as the moral crisis of our land today. On every front, it's difficult to speak about. I've prayed earnestly now for several weeks about doing this message. Last week was actually Sanctity of Life Sunday, but I didn't want to miss it this year. Many times speaking about this causes excruciating pain in the people listening and the people thinking about these things. I believe, though, as a pastor, it's impossible to remain silent and talk about these things. Some feel the subject's better left in the closet. Edmund Burke says that all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good people to say nothing. Martin Luther King said this, Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. If America does not care about the sanctity of life, what do we care about? Really? Bernard Nathanson was an incredible doctor, but he also was the leading abortion doctor in the mid-70s. For over a doctor, he did more abortions than any other doctor in America. Performed over 60,000 abortions. In 1976, there was a brand new medical breakthrough. It was an ultrasound machine. He was one of the doctors invited to come see a demonstration of the ultrasound machine. He went in there kind of not really thinking he was going to see anything spectacular, but as they, as they had that pregnant woman up there and they put the little gel on her, on her tummy and put that ultrasound thing, and you could actually see that little baby in there he realized that he could see the four chambers of that heart, that little baby's heart. He saw that heart beating. He could see the little fingers there, and they were moving. An abortion doctor that had felt like he was doing a righteous work by helping ladies that were in a particular hard situation performed over 60,000 abortions in almost 10 years. Realized that that's life. He was no longer known as that, although he had that to his resume. 
But he became the doctor that began writing medical journals after medical journal articles professing that that baby in that womb is a life. It's a life. God changed his heart and his mind as he saw that little baby in the womb. We've all heard the stories about little babies being born prematurely. Weeks before they should have been born. Wondering if they're going to survive. And they do survive. I mean months before they're due. Realize that's a little baby in there. That is a little baby. My oldest daughter Jillian had the blessing of working and managing a crisis pregnancy center. And she said that statistically that when, we, when they show that newborn, that young mother that's getting ready to have a baby that's pregnant, that little baby through ultrasound, it's profound what they see. They realize that truly is a little baby inside me. They realize that I can't let go of this little baby. This is a living life. It's really coming to a point in our life when we understand the truth about this issue. God is very clear about life. The scripture we read this morning came at the end of Moses' life. It was before the nation of Israel was getting ready to enter into the promised land. I don't know if you realize this, but the book of Deuteronomy was spoken by Moses in 30 days, the month before he passed away. He spoke with great passion, love of his people, but also love of God. Moses' sermon there was a bright light, and it was a strong fire for people. He had an incredible affection that his people would follow God and stay close, but he also realized the tendency is not to do that, that we veer from God sometimes because we get our focus someplace else. But he wanted the nation of Israel to realize that they had a great God, and they wanted to live that way. He leaves them the scripture that we just read with an unexcusable idea of obedience, that we need to walk in obedience, not disobedience. Listen to verse 19 again that we just read. It says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. That I have, he's calling heaven. Heaven's looking down. You have no excuse. You have an opportunity, though, because you have free will to choose life or to choose death. Blessings and curses. Therefore, choose life that both of you and your descendants may live. Moses was telling them that I'm telling you right now, choose life. Always choose life. Do they have laws about people that broke the laws? Absolutely. But he's saying, given an opportunity, choose life. Think about this. God sent his son to die that we might choose life, that we might have life in Christ. God cared so much and loved us so much that we might have that life that he sent his son to die, that we might have that life. God's word over and over and over again declares his truth about life. From the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, let me stop for just a second and give you a little commercial here. A lot of us have a hard time sometimes remembering the scripture to share about why I believe in life. If you have your pencils today, these, I'm going to give you about five or six great scriptures. You want to write them down, you can go home and look at them, but maybe keep them in your Bible. So next time you're around somebody, maybe put a little piece of paper in your wallet and keep them if you're talking to people all the time about this issue. You know, one of the big issues in America today is that the truth is not getting out there. There's all those people out there lying about the fact that woman's choice trumps, use that expression loosely, I'm sorry, woman's choice overshadows the truth. You know, we, we can have this whole idea about, you know, this must be truth because so many people are saying it. It's on the news and, you know, they're marching about and all the different things we see out there. It still doesn't make it the truth. Why in a million years would my choice trump somebody else's life? It doesn't. We have a choice in this world to stand for truth. 
We need to prepare ourselves and be able to stand on God's Word and understand in our own heart, first of all, why that baby in that womb is a baby. You know the whole strategy about calling it a fetus too, right? Think about this. If you ever hear a, a, a mom-to-be talking about that little baby in her belly, she's got a little belly coming, little baby coming, my daughter. I mean, you, you know some in the room here that just had babies. When we talk about that little baby, what do they call it? A baby. I can't wait to meet my baby. It's going to be a little girl, a little boy. So excited about that life coming. Call it a baby. You know what they call it when they're talking about abortion? They don't call it a baby. What do they call it? They call it a fetus. There's a lot of people who don't realize that fetus is Latin for baby. You know, why would why, 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 why they just use baby? Well, because that kind of offensive to some people, or that kind of sounds harsh and brutal that we're going to kill a baby. We have no problem killing a fetus because it sounds more like it's a little cyst or something. We're going to get rid of the cyst. So the devil is a deceiver. He is giving people kind of insight into how we can deceive a whole nation. How a whole nation can kind of buy into this thing. And I don't believe any of us can go out and change this thing around by ourselves, but God can. That we begin praying. We also begin asking God, God, give me wisdom with my friends. Help me encourage my friends. Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our own likeness. I love the fact that God said, let us. You know what that says to me? It says to you too. God didn't say, let me. Or I'm going to do this. He said, let us. What he's talking about? He's talking about that trinity. Jesus Christ was there and the Holy Spirit was there. The true God was there. All three of them were there at the very beginning. And he said, guys, Jesus and Holy Spirit, let's make man in our own image. How's that sound? That sounds great. And they let them have dominion over the fish in the sea, over the birds in the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, the scripture tells us. We're created in God's image. And then listen to this. In Psalms 139, this is a huge one for you. What I just uh, read to you was Genesis 1, 26 through 27. This is Psalm, those of you that are writing down, this is Psalms 139, verse 13 through 16. Psalms 139, 13 through 16. This is David speaking. David says, for you, formed me, for you formed my inner parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. He's talking about when he was in his mother's room. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes, listen to this, your eyes saw my substance before I was even formed. God knew David was coming along before he was even formed and conceived in his mother's womb. God knows all about us. We are living creatures made in the image of God. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. And God knows all about us from the very point of conception, even before conception. Think about this. What did God tell Jeremiah? I love this scripture. This is Jeremiah 1.5. God's trying to encourage Jeremiah to be the prophet. Jeremiah doesn't want to do it. Man, he said, I can't do it, God. I'm not good enough. I can't speak. All the excuses. But God's trying to encourage Jeremiah, and he tells him this. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. God was telling Jeremiah, listen, Jeremiah, I've had plans for you for a long time before you were even formed. I knew I was going to use you to make a difference in the nation of Israel in a very hard time. Jeremiah was encouraged through that first chapter of Jeremiah. Read it. But I want you to hear this. God knew me and he knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. God had a plan. He sanctified you. He set you apart for a very specific purpose. 
Part of our great mission as followers of Jesus Christ is to figure out, what is my mission? God, what is my purpose? God, I know you formed me. You made me. I'm made in your image. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. What do you have for me, God, to do? What is it? Listen very carefully. When you begin to figure that out, you know what? Your life's going to have a meaning like never before. God, I realize why I'm here. So many people out there are just kind of trying to figure it all out. Their whole life is just as good as it gets. What's my life supposed to be about? What is my purpose? Why am I here? Some of us that have come close to death before, why am I still here? Because God has a purpose. He set you apart before you were formed in your mother's womb. Think about this. New Testament thoughts. All these things stand firm for the perspective of God knows us. God has a plan. Remember when Mary got pregnant? All the little turmoil there because she'd never known a man? Well, she decided to go see her cousin Elizabeth, who was ultimately going to be the mother of John the Baptist. Both of them were pregnant. It says this in Luke 1. Write this down if you like. Luke 1, verse 42. Mary come to see Elizabeth. And it says, And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the baby, John the Baptist, in her room, lipped. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist, inside his mother's womb, leapt when he realized that he just came in the presence of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in Mary's womb. Okay? Is that a baby in the womb? Has God set them apart? Does God have them there for a specific purpose? Absolutely. Then think about this. Going backwards a little bit. It's It's Luke 1, verse 31 and 32. And this is the angel coming to talk to Mary. The angel said, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of the city of David. Is there evidence in the Bible of us knowing that the baby in the womb is a human being? Absolutely. Is there evidence in the Bible of us knowing that that baby in the womb has a very specific purpose that God set him apart? Is there a very specific scripture in the Bible that tells us that that baby in the womb already has a name? Absolutely. We know that. God's word, there's no doubt about it. God says that that is a baby in the womb. It's a baby in the womb. Lack of value of life today is a result of us taking our eyes off of God. We have taken our eyes off of God as a nation. Life is valued by God. He created made us in His image. He values us so much, and I've already said it several times, that He sent His Son to die upon that cross. That's how much He cares about life, our life and your life. God cares about us. Look at verse 20 for just a second back in... um, Deuteronomy chapter 30. I'll read it to you. It says that, that, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him. I want you to notice three words. That you may love, love's the first word, your God, that you may obey, that's the second one, his voice, and that you may cling to him. Love, obey, and cling to him. For he is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to their fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them. You know what God's telling us? If we love... If we obey, if we cling, we're going to live in the riches of Christ. That's where we want to live. I want to live right where God wants me to live, right in the center of his will. Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. We know that's what? That's the great commandment, right? The greatest commandment. Ponder this thought, just a thought. Not to obey that, that, does that make that the greatest sin as well? It's the greatest commandment, but if we don't do that, is that the greatest sin? I've shared with people that are great Bible scholars and have phenomenal 
insight into God's Word, and that's great. That's profound. I've told them, you know, I, I like those things and enjoy it, and I learn from these people that share with me. But you know, I'm still working out the great commandment. I want to love the God more with more of my mind, more of my heart, more of my soul, more of my strength. Love Him with everything I got. Am I completely sold out? No, there's still areas I can grow in. I want to. I thank God for that, too, to continue growing. Obey His voice. Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount said that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for God's righteousness, for they shall be filled up. Am I hungry and thirsty for God's righteousness? Am I hungry and thirsty for God's word? I believe with all my heart as we look to this new year, the two greatest things that we can do as a church body, there's a lot of things out there. I believe the two greatest things that we can do individually to strengthen our church body, get into your holy word more, begin studying your Bible more, and get into a Bible study, okay? We got Sunday schools. We got great Sunday schools here. We got men's Bible studies. We got women's Bible studies. We got some of the adult Bible fellowships. We're getting ready to ramp that back up again. See if anybody else wants to have one of those fellowships at their home. Read God's Word and study it. Get with others to study it. We hear from God three ways. God speaks to us three ways. He speaks to His Holy Word. He speaks to His Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, the Spirit convicts me. The Spirit kind of gives me direction. But he also speaks to holy men and women. Sitting in a Bible study and hearing somebody else share their testimony, life testimonies about how this particular scripture spoke to their heart. Man, I never know that. I never thought about that scripture that way. That's profound. I got that issue in my life right now. I'm trying to grow and learn more and be part of this in a greater way. Thank you for sharing that. We need to obey his voice. I don't know if you've heard this statistic before, but do you know why women have abortions? what their reasons are. Alan Guttermach Institute did a study about five years ago. That's how current it is. It came up with the fact that 1% are because of fetal abnormalities. There's something wrong with the baby. 1% are victims of rape. 4% said the doctor, there's a problem with the woman's health. 94% of people, ladies, have abortions for some form of inconvenience, because of some form of inconvenience. This baby's going to inconvenience me. It's not a good timing, or I'm too young, or not a good time in my life, whatever it might be. You know what the biggest arguments we hear out there are, the number one argument? Because of rape. Would you, would you really not want somebody to get rid of a baby that's raped? I'd advocate this. Let's pray about fixing that 94% that do it for convenience. See if we can't educate them. See if we can't help them. Can't let them realize that, you know, there's, there's another route. Obeying the voice. Life is precious the, from the moment of conception. I've shared this story with you several times before, but I haven't shown the picture before. And this picture reflects something that's very, very personal in our lives. That's Maddie Freitas. Leave that up there for just a second, Doug, if you will. Amy and I had an employee workforce came in and told me one morning she wanted to get an abortion because she just found out she's pregnant. I sat down and talked to her for a while and said there's all kinds of other options. I said, I'd love to have you talk to my wife. And so we got Amy in there the next day, sat down and chat with her. And she was, she'd already talked to the crisis, not the crisis training center, but the um, abortion doctor. But Amy took her to the Crisis Pregnancy Center, and over a period of time, she started coming to church with us. Didn't have a place to live, so we brought her into our house. 
And um, Maddie Freitas was born on January 22nd, today. The same day that in 1973, 19 years before her, before today, 24 years ago, she was born on that same day when they decided that abortions are illegal in America. So every time we come around to this date, January 22nd, we celebrate her birthday. She's 19 years old today. I look at that little girl and think about what if? What if had she been too embarrassed to say something to me or had already done it? Or if that her mom? Or if she just decided that um, I'm not going to talk to anybody, my mind's made up. But God put it on her heart, you know, I'm not sure what to do. She didn't have anybody in life. And in the midst of all that, I had a best friend. You can put that next picture if you like. My best friend from the Marine Corps days. His wife had been trying for a long, long time have a baby, couldn't have a baby. So we called them and asked them, hey, we think there might be an opportunity for you to adopt a baby. Would you like to do so? Oh, absolutely. Came and she'd grown up in that family. I want to tell you this. There are so many what-ifs out there around us. And Amy and I pray that God would let our paths cross with somebody else that might be contemplating that so we might be able to get in the middle of all of it. But to see personally firsthand of a life that almost wasn't, and now to see that she's in college, first year of college this year, just graduated high school last May. But to see a life out there that's so precious, that's real, tangible, touch her, and realize that God did a great work there. I want to conclude this message this morning with a thought. I'm not going to have you turn there, but uh, we all heard about King Solomon, right? And um, he was the son of David, privileged young man, but he was a very, very smart guy for a good period of his life. David anointed him. David blessed him, encouraged him to follow God all the days of his life and challenged him. Solomon also had the privilege of building the temple. David lost that privilege because of his sin. But Solomon got that privilege, and Solomon led a great life for a number of years. In fact, if you want to study Solomon, turn to 1 Kings and read the first 10 chapters. It talks all about Solomon. What a precious guy he was and what a great ruler he was. And remember, he, he asked, God said, hey, I want to give you something. It's like the genie in the bottle, but only it was God. I want to give you something. What did he ask for? Wisdom. Remember that? He gave him wisdom, but he also blessed him every other way. Material things and money. The richest man that ever lived, they say. The wisest man that ever lived. Why? Because he asked God for wisdom. But it's interesting... The first ten chapters of Kings are all about Solomon doing a great job as a king and leading his people properly. But all of a sudden we come to 1 Kings chapter 11, first verse. The very first word says, however, or it says, but in some translations. It's a modifier. It's a transitional statement. However, what it's saying here, there's something different that's going to happen from what you saw before. Typically when we see a however or a but, it means either things are bad and we're going to good, or things are good and we're going to bad. It's used throughout the Bible that way. Many times we see but God. And we love that because we realize it's taking something bad and God's getting ready to do something good. Well, this is the opposite. Solomon is getting ready to do something bad. He's done a great job following God. God's blessed him. God's given him wisdom and all his material things. But it says in 1 Kings 11, verse 1, it says, However, however, all those things in the past, however, that was good. 
However, look at this now. King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonites, and the Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn your hearts away from their gods. Solomon clung to these that he loved. It says right there, God had told him, do not intermarry with these ladies that are from the pagan nation there. Stay pure. Marry Israelites so your faith with me will stay intact. You know what's amazing about America today to me? It's like King Solomon. The first 190 years of our nation, we exalted God. We said the Pledge of Allegiance. We prayed in schools. We prayed in the courtrooms. We prayed. We were in church. It was a church, Christian nation going to church. For all those years, 190 years or so, maybe almost 200 years, probably maybe 180 years, somewhere in that range. But all of a sudden, however, however, America decided to turn its back on God, just like Solomon. It's time to set our focus back on God. Now, I'm not talking about presidential things. I'm not talking about anything. I'm talking about the church. And I'm talking about you and I to get serious about turning our eyes back on God, to put God first in our life as men and our families, to lead our family first and foremost. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As women and mothers in these families, undergirding your, father, your husband, standing firm with your father, and this is where we go. And I'm here to tell you personally, I love the input I get from my wife because she keeps me on track if I start getting off track. She shares with me where we need to go together as a couple. We have a vision for our family and a vision for the things that God will have us be involved in. We need to have a vision as men and women because we're living in a society right now that is compounding upon compounding non-truths and lies in the public square. That God wasn't serious about these things. I want you to know that all these social issues we deal with today, those are important, crushing Horrible social situations, but they're all intended, listen very carefully, to destroy the image of God in this nation. That we don't need God. Why do we need God? Because, you know, he was all confused about the whole birth thing. He was all confused about the marriage thing. He's all confused about life. He's all confused about everything. So we don't really need God. That's what they're selling today from the public square, unfortunately. If we don't stand up against that and share the truth, who's going to? We have an incredible opportunity. Where do we go from here? Share this very quickly. We need to be informed. We need to understand God's word. What is the truth of God's word? And how can I substantiate in my heart first and foremost and see that and realize it with all that I am? Let that be who I am. I stand on life because the Bible says it and teaches me. We need to teach sexual morality to our children. We need to have compassion. Listen very carefully. Christians, unfortunately, a lot of times are known what they're against, not their love, okay? You know, hate the sin and love the sinner. Well, we do a great job of hating the sin, but do we really love the sinner? So we need to have compassion, especially on single moms, okay? What do they need more than Jesus Christ and us to love them and come alongside them and help them? We need to speak the truth. We need to pray for revival. Pray that God would ignite a revival in me like never before. That I'd be on fire for God like never before. And it would spread to my friends and my 
uh, sphere of influence and all those around me, and same in your life, that God's got me right now in such a way as I have got compassion and passion for these things. We have an incredible opportunity to make a difference. God could use this body of believers here in Beaverdam, Virginia to make a change in this world.